0: This is a Cato Special Podcast. I'm Caleb Brown. The Biden administration is out with its plan to cancel massive amounts of student debt. Neil McCluskey directs the Cato Institute's Center for Educational Freedom. He argues that the legal and constitutional footing for the administration is shaky, and a large fraction of this relief will go to upper-income borrowers. In the broadest strokes, what has Joe Biden said he is going to do with respect to Uh, outstanding student
1: loans in the United States. Joe Biden has decided that he is going to do student loan cancellation plus from what he had been talking about. So what he proposed was partially what people expected, which was that he would say, I will, through executive action, forgive $10,000 of federal student debt to just about everybody who has it. He set an income limit at $125,000 for an individual, $250,000 for uh, people filing jointly. Now, you got to understand that $250,000 goes deep into the top 10% of earners. So this is almost everybody with student debt. That's what we thought he was going to do. But he added more to it. He added that he was going to forgive $20,000 of debt for anybody who had a Pell Grant. That's a huge addition to what people had been discussing, what we'd heard coming from the administration. It's going to add a huge amount of cost to this. So I estimate this is going to cost us around $430 billion. There are lots of estimates. They're, wy- they're widely ranging, but all in the sort of $300 to $600 billion range, except Not only did he add this Pell Grant part, he's also talking about changing how we do um, income contingent repayment from where it used to be you'd pay 10% of your discretionary income to 5%. He's talking about more loan forgiveness down the road. So what was likely, or at least people expected to be just $10,000, is much bigger it's not as big as people like Senator Warren and Senator Schumer were calling for. They wanted $50,000 for everybody or total cancellation, but it's much bigger than the Biden administration been talking about. To hear Elizabeth Warren tell it, uh, the the fact that the debt
0: cancellation is higher for people who received Pell Grants is a feature, not a bug.
1: Right. Well, so, and if if your goal is to focus more of the forgiveness or the cancellation on people who you would say need it, so not the people who became doctors and lawyers and making a huge amount of money. We've got to remember that if you have a professional degree like a doctor or lawyer, you're going to make about 3.1 million more dollars over your lifetime than someone with just high school diploma. So clearly, relief for folks like that is skewed toward really people who are going to be quite uh, wealthy. So, She would say probably this is better. And if you didn't want it skewed to the wealthy, which was a problem with just $10,000 across the board, you'd say this is good because at least people who take out Pell Grants tend to be lower income people. You'd say, okay, at least we're focusing more of this on lower income folks. But it's not like he said, we're not going to give a whole bunch of money to wealthier people. All the estimates of around, I think it's $30 billion or so going to people in the top Quintile, so the top 20% of earners, they're still going to get all that. It's just there's a whole bunch more cancellation than we expected, and much of it is now at lower income levels.
0: Often, when Congress passes a law, uh, they will say, well, this is constitutional because uh, this is the president taking uh, an executive action, and he's saying, this is legal, this fits within our statutory framework because uh, through a document released by the Department of Education, what does that say? What kind of lawsuits are we going to see? Because we will. And how do you evaluate their, their legal footing?
1: So I think we have to look at this sort of in multiple levels of unconstitutionality and then the legal issues. So the first level of this being unconstitutional is one, unfortunately, that many people have given up on. But student loans, federal student aid, none of that is constitutional. The federal government's given specific enumerated powers. Those are the only ones they have. Nowhere do you see the the, the term education mentioned. I don't think you see the term loans either, by the way. Um, and the federal government doesn't have authority to legislate in higher education, uh, to have student loan programs, to have student aid programs. And if you really want to get into it, you can read the uh, the all the documentation from the Constitutional Convention. Interestingly, they talk a little bit about higher education. There was a proposal for a national university, and the answer was the authority for that would exist, but only because there's specific enumerated power for the federal government to control what's now the District of Columbia, the seat of the government, and you could put a university there. So, they did talk about education, and higher education There's just no conception that the federal government runs something like this. So the programs are unconstitutional. The second unconstitutionality is that the president does not have authority. He doesn't have power of the purse that is given to Congress. It stretches beyond imagination, beyond credulity, the idea that, well, It's not really spending money if what had been loans, so money that went to people but they were supposed to pay back, can now, by presidential fiat, become grants so that money doesn't get paid back. That is a very different thing. That's an expenditure, and that has to come from Congress. Then finally, there's the legal aspect of this. Are there laws that allow the president to do mass cancellation? And there aren't. First, people pointed to the Higher Education Act, passed in 1965, amended many times since then, to say, well, he is allowed, through the Secretary of Education, to waive loans and forgive loans. And it's true, but only in the context of specific programs that Congress created. So your public service loan forgiveness program, income contingent uh, repayment, things that have been created by Congress and authorized by Congress. Then what the administration did in a note that seemed very much like an afterthought, but we better put it out there because we got to have a legal justification, is, well, maybe under the HEROES Act we can do this. And the HEROES Act was passed uh, in the wake of 9-11 and was supposed to really be about people who have student loans but are called up for military service— Uh, don't have to repay their loans while they are serving because it could be very difficult. And the idea was you don't want to make them financially worse off as they are dealing with a national emergency. Now, they've sort of seized on this emergency uh, idea to say, well, COVID-19 was a national emergency, so we can use this because we don't want student borrowers to be worse off because of this emergency the law wasn't really about something like this. And it's crazy to think that borrowers are worse off. Why? Because um, in March 2020, when we're heading into lockdowns, the Trump administration froze repayment on student loans. That freeze, for reasons that are beyond me, has been extended now actually by the Biden administration all the way to the end of 2022. But we've had freeze extensions. I think this is the sixth or seventh time where we haven't required anyone to pay back. And essentially their interest payments were zeroed out. So by any measure, student borrowers are actually better off because of COVID. So there's no way you can say cancellation is justified to make sure that they aren't harmed by this national emergency. So there is really no legal justification and there's absolutely no constitutional justification. The question then is, does anybody have standing to sue? What
0: does standing look like in a case like this? Because I feel like uh, my wife and I might have some standing uh, given the student loan payoff that we engaged in about 10 years ago.
1: So this is, a, this is really a, a naughty point. So it's clear that what the president did is illegal and unconstitutional. The question is, who has standing? And to me, that is not clear who would have standing to sue. The people most immediately hurt by this are taxpayers. So the idea of a loan is you borrow money, you pay it back. The federal government has already budgeted as if that money is returning, which means if it doesn't get returned, taxpayers have to make up that difference. They are most directly hurt, but there is almost no precedent supporting somebody having standing just as a taxpayer. You can't say bad policy that costs you a lot of money, gives you grounds to sue. So unfortunately, it seems like taxpayers themselves, the most directly harmed, don't have standing. Then it's people like Caleb. You and your wife, and people who sort of did the right thing and repaid the loan, because the nature of a loan is you borrow, you repay. You would say, Well, on a relative basis, you've been hurt. My guess is that will not give you standing because the grounds on which you took the loan, you just fulfilled them. You were not, someone didn't inflict a harm on you. You just did what you thought you were supposed to do. It's a relative harm. And that a whole bunch of people who didn't do what they're supposed to do suddenly get a whole bunch of money. I would guess, and I'm not a lawyer, but I would guess many courts would say, well, you weren't really harmed just because other people end up better off. So then the, the the question is, well, who can actually establish a harm? It's hard for me to think of some. Uh, there was an idea put out there that maybe student loan servicers, so the people who have contracts with the U.S. Department of Education to service loans may lose out on money because they have people, fewer people to serve. They may lose out on some fees and things like that. That seems pretty tenuous. You'd have to get in their contract. So I think there should be a lawsuit. Oh, and Congress could sue, presumably, in that the executive has taken their power but only Republicans would likely do that, and they're not in the majority. So I think it's a really big question who actually could go to a court and get this stopped because they have standing. What of
0: the impact on the people themselves, the people who, who borrowed this money, who find themselves in a slightly better situation? Like We can't, we can't forget about them. They're uh, happy about uh, this cancellation.
1: Yeah, if you borrowed and you you know, you know haven't paid it all back and it gets forgiven, sure, you feel good. At least part of that is gone. I mean, if you have more than $10,000 and more than $20,000 for your Pell recipient, it's not all gone, but you feel like that's great. I think what's important from the overall picture of this, though, is, you know, that's the concentrated benefits. The diffuse costs are massive. And I think it's really important to remember who we forget, which is future students. Um, what this does is say, well, colleges charge even more than you already do, because people can take on debt and can at least have a pretty good sense that, well, wait, no one'll really make me repay this debt, because how could they? How could the federal government make me repay, but they forgave all this debt before. That encourages colleges to raise their prices at even greater rates than they have. And they raise them at incredible rates because the federal government gave people money to pay it. And so you'll see much more of this uh, inflation in college price. And everybody gets put behind the eight ball because we'll see more credential inflation. What we've seen before, which is that employers more and more will demand degrees for jobs that didn't previously require them because more people can easily get degrees. So if you don't want to spend four years in college or six years in college or eight years in college to get a job, you may have to. So it's all these gigantic unintended consequences that never get thought through in this beyond just the crushing price. Cushing cost to taxpayers. That's what we really have to worry about. So the people that we're trying, you know, we say the federal government's trying to help with all this aid and cancellation, we're just hurting them. But yes, people who get their current debt forgiven, they're better off. But even that, you know, the president talks about this will be incredible stimulus for more housing and buying more houses and buying stuff like that. Of course, that feeds inflation, which is a huge problem. But it's also... You've gotten this debt forgiven, but on a, in terms of what you're actually paying, the impact is really month by month in that the only income you're gaining in any given month is what you would have paid on your monthly payment. And, and of course, no one's been paying those for two and a half years. So even what looks like benefit is not nearly the benefit we think it is. How likely, uh, given
0: how uh, student loan forgiveness programs have functioned, Uh, over the last decade or so, this was pretty dramatically oversold. That is, uh, if you work for a nonprofit or the government in some capacity for 10 years, you would have a lot of your student loans forgiven. A whole lot, very, very few young people ultimately qualified and actually went through uh, that sort of, I don't know what you'd call it, it, that difficult situation to Cross every T, dot every I, and get it done. Is is there any likelihood that this will face the same kind of bureaucratic problems?
1: Yeah. So, I mean, in particular, you're referencing the Public Service Loan Forgiveness Program, although there are a whole bunch of loan forgiveness programs. And frankly, just the sheer number and the acronyms confuse the heck out of most people. What Congress and the president now have done is every time there's a problem, they create a new program, which makes it even more confusing what to do. Public Service Loan Forgiveness was actually written to be kind of difficult to get because they didn't want everybody taking it because it looks bad in the budget. But then you had to know what kind of loan did you have? What kind of employer do you work for? Does that employer qualify? And many people didn't get public service loan forgiveness. More broadly, we've seen that the U.S. Department of Education does a terrible job of tracking whether or not people have actually been repaying. And so they often don't know who is qualified because they haven't actually tracked the payments. It does make you sort of um, dubious that the U.S. Department of Education is now going to be able to take mass cancellation, including cancellation contingent on whether you qualified for a Pell grant, and efficiently determine whether or not you get cancellation and then execute that. And it wasn't an auspicious start that soon after this cancellation was announced, people flooded to the U.S. Department of Education website to find out about getting cancellation and the thing crashed, Um, sort of reminiscent of Obamacare. Um, And so We should not have much confidence that the U.S. Department of Education is going to efficiently and effectively execute this because they don't have any track record of having done anything even remotely like this successfully in the past.
0: Neil McCluskey directs the Cato Institute Center for Educational Freedom. Please give a rating to the Cato Daily Podcast on your podcast platform of choice and follow us on Twitter at Cato Podcast.